Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This content is brought to you by Uphold, which is a great platform that makes it easy and simple for you to buy, hold, and sell and earn crypto. You can trade from anything to anything. For example, you can trade between cryptocurrencies and precious metals. It's an amazing platform that I've been using for years. And in fact, I still use to this day because they're one, a great exchange, um, they're reputable, and they're one of the only exchanges that still lists XRP. Many of the other exchanges have delisted XRP due to the SEC lawsuit, but you can still get XRP on Uphold. So I have interviewed the CEO, the founder, and many other representatives from Uphold over the years, and I'm a fan of this platform. And once again, there's some great features like trading between different assets very easily. You don't have to convert to a currency and so forth. They're used by 10 plus million users. They have over 200 cryptocurrencies. And they have a very easy to use app. Uh, the interface is really nice. So I can certainly vouch for this platform. Once again, I've been a user for years. So if you'd like to learn more about Uphold, please visit the link in the description. Welcome back to the Thinking Crypto Podcast, your home for cryptocurrency news and interviews. With me today is Bill Barheit, who's the founder and CEO of Abra. Bill, great to have you back on the show. Hey, man. Good to see you. Great to be back. Uh, Bill, I, I want to start off with Abra. Can you tell us what's new with the platform? Uh, any upcoming cool things that we should know about? Yeah, there are actually. So we've passed the, the we're, we're right about 3 million users now globally uh, in over 100 countries growing fast. Uh, so so yeah, we, we, we have our trade, earn, borrow products, the ability to trade across 100 plus cryptocurrencies. <clears throat> Excuse me, the ability to trade across 100 plus cryptocurrencies. Uh, we're going to be launching a new version of our trading system in the next few weeks, much lower spreads, the ability to launch new cryptocurrencies faster. Uh, we, we're, we're full steam ahead on our interest uh, earning products where we pay yield on Bitcoin, Ethereum, stable coins. And we've really navigated that space really well. We're one of the few, if not the only company that hasn't had you know, any problems in that world, we continue to pay yield. We haven't suffered from any of the mistakes that our competitors have made. And with fantastic risk management processes, our, our borrow product continues to excel, which allows people to borrow against crypto holdings. So you can access, you know, if you've been in Bitcoin for a while or Ethereum for a while, you can access the gains uh, by borrowing against those holdings. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then we're, we, we're launching a new NFT service uh, in Q4, 
Uh, we've got a new American Express card that pays uh, uh, rewards in crypto coming out most likely in the Q4, Q1 uh, timeframe. There's some other stuff that we haven't announced yet that we're doing. Uh, we've got some new DeFi products and services in, in that kind of earn umbrella. So, yeah, so it's kind of full steam ahead at Abra in terms of just building that big banking kind of ecosystem for crypto. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you, you know, you touched on some other companies within the industry not doing so well. And obviously, we've seen what happened to <clears throat> Voyager and Celsius. And I'm curious, without you giving away your secret sauce or your your full business <laughs> plan and so forth, how have you guys been able to survive the bear market and still offer the lending products that you, you currently yeah, have? I don't think it's a big secret. We talk, I think we actually talked about this the last time you and I spoke and, you know, having risk management practices in the lending space uh, is not a, a new idea, right? It's not a crypto specific idea, whether you're operating as a prime broker in the equity space or a commercial lender in, in the real estate world, or, you know, doing asset, you know, crypto backed, uh, lending, uh, it, it all kind of purports to a requirement for risk management processes commensurate with the business that you're in. And and I've talked about this for years, and I've warned others in our space that um, some of the risk management practices I was seeing at certain companies was not going to end well. Mm. And unfortunately, that turned out to be the case. And we've prided ourselves at Abra on having, uh, we have a very big risk team. It's a big percentage of the overall employee base. And that team oversees all of the banking oriented practices within uh, our lending system, our interest bearing products, et cetera, et cetera, DeFi. Uh, and and uh, that's paid big dividends for us. For sure. And I, I, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know if you can uh, touch on it, but it just came to mind because of what the SEC has been doing, you know, looking at other exchanges and platforms, their lending business model. Has the SEC approached the folks, you and the folks at Abra about your lending and borrowing? Um, I'm not sure. I, I think we, we talk to the SEC all the time. So when I say I'm not sure, the nature of the conversations go far and deep. So mm -hmm. we're always having conversations with states, federal regulators, you know, all of them, basically. And we have a team of uh, lawyers, internal, external. We have internal securities lawyers, external securities lawyers, internal banking lawyers, external banking lawyers, com compliance, regulatory. So there's lots of conversations going on. I don't sit in on most of them. So, uh, you know, I'm not aware of, of the exact content, except to say I'm pretty sure it gets broached, you know, on occasion, uh, but I'm not uh, privy to 100% of the details. Gotcha. Um, I want to talk about the crypto market at large. We are certainly in a bear market. Um, there are macro factors affecting all markets right now, all assets. Uh, what is your take on what's happening? Have we hit the bottom? And when do you think we start seeing some recovery? Sure. So so like Ralph Paul says, crypto is macro, macro is crypto. I think that basically what happened from 2000, basically March 2020, uh, post kind of initial lockdown, was we had basically massive increase to the global money supply. 
and the Bitcoin price became a proxy for that. A lot of people confuse that for is it an inflation hedge? And really, what's happened over the last kind of two and a half years is we've we've seen a, a, a direct correlation in the short term between the price of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, for the most part, and 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 the money supply in in the U.S. and maybe in in a in, in a couple of the countries, but mostly in the U.S. And obviously, as the money supply increased dramatically, and the expectations that the money supply would increase persisted, the price of crypto ramped. That's um, also a function of the. Um, kind of the the exponential growth in usage right the network effects associated with you know whether it's stocks in the case of like netflix and you know tesla's um huge network effects in their business or something like a cryptocurrency that will be reflected in the price so that if something is basically going to sap up money supply something that has network effects is going to sap it up even faster Right, which is why you know the growth in the price of Bitcoin and Ethereum has been dramatic uh, through you know early this year, and I think now we're seeing the opposite. Where in the first half of this year there were expectations that the Federal Reserve was going to decrease the money supply, uh, and we have seen that. We've seen the fastest credit tightening in history uh, over the last nine months, it, literally in history. Okay, not just the Fed, but the banks and, and the bond markets doing. Uh, what the Fed was unwilling to do late last year uh, when inflation was out of control. But now the opposite uh, problem is on the horizon, right? So last month, we saw inflation actually come down month over month. The overall 12-month inflation number is still over 8%. But when you look at the print from June to July, it actually fell. So we're at a point now where things have, the, 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 the tightening has been so fast, so swift, that if something doesn't change, we're going to be in a disinflationary environment where where trailing 12-month prices have fallen dramatically this point next year, in my opinion. Okay. And it's not a risk that people are really talking about because it, it's not obvious, because most of what we hear in the press is, is kind of trailing indicators for things that have happened weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what's happening right now, Right. We had a PMI print uh, purchase, purchasing managers institute, which is basically an overall barometer for supply chain that basically says we are either in recession, have been in one, or are basically by every definition about to enter one. And I think it's the former. I think we've been in a recession for a quarter and a half. And I think this recession will go on probably until the end of the year. And you'll see basically, sorry for the long winded answer, but I'm getting to the point, which is you'll basically see the great pause from the Fed. The, what is the great pause? That's when you, you'll you hear something to the effect of, it's, it's fantastic to see that these dramatic rate increases that we've done have had the intended effect of slowing price inflation, blah, 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 congratulate ourselves, blah, blah, congratulate ourselves, blah, 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 which actually in English means we're, actually, we're in a recession now. Yeah. And because the barometers that most of us use to figure that out uh, are un, un, un understandable to Joe Public. I don't have to say that, right. but we're actually in a recession, so we're going to stop those dramatic rate increases and wait and see what happens. Which means we don't know what they have to do, but we're in a recession. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's going to happen in October. I thought it might be September. Maybe I'm guessing probably more likely October. Um, and at that point, right, I think it's game on for risk on assets again. 
And I think going into Q1, you could see, uh, you'll see a lot of volatility anyway, just because of the merge with Ethereum. But I think it's really going to be game on for equities and crypto um, as the money supply starts to increase dramatically as a result of, of the Fed pause and expectations in the bond market that we're going to get back to the, the kind of downward channel that uh, interest rates have been in for the last three decades. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And it's it's along the lines of, uh, I, I personally been tracking it. I'm like, the midterm elections are coming up. Uh, look, the presidents have used the Fed as a weapon sometimes, or as a tool, I should say. Uh, and we could see, like you said, some pausing there, and, and then maybe the markets get optimistic, and then they start QE again sometime next year. Who knows? Yeah. Markets uh, like political stalemate hmm. um, because it, it, it eliminates uncertainty. Right. So having competing kind of powers in Congress and the White House is is actually a good thing for markets in most cases, except when the case where, you know, like when Trump is just lowering taxes and whether it makes sense or not. I mean, you know, uh, markets like that, uh, but that's not what's going to happen either way. So I think having the, the potential for having, uh, you know, a Republican controlled or lack of Democratic controlled Congress and another two years of a Democrat in the White House is actually appealing to markets, combined with the fact that I think the great pause is coming. You know, it, it actually bodes well for 2023 and, and maybe even Q4. Yeah. And, and I wonder if you can talk a bit about the correlation. Um, you know, we talked about cryptos, macro, macro crypto now. Do you think that there will be any deviation from that, that crypto would find yeah. its own path eventually, or this is how it's going to continue? Sure. So so yes and no. I think um, there's the utility of crypto, right? Uh, and then there's the kind of market gyrations of crypto, which are reconciled in US dollars, right? At the end of the day, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. The fungibility aside, one, one Ethereum is one Ethereum. Uh, and, and, you know, that's always going to be true. And hopefully the utility of both increases over time, which means that the network effects could even potentially increase over time, meaning the rate of adoption could increase, even if it doesn't, if it stays what it is now, that's, that's beautiful, right? It's faster than it's growing faster than the internet itself. So that we need that to maintain, you know, the value in the network over the next 10 years. But I, I think it's, it's not a foregone conclusion that that's going to happen, but, Given, especially in Ethereum, with you know uh, stablecoin adoption, with NFT adoption, with DeFi adoption, the banking system, I'm very bullish on Ethereum and some of its kind of layer one competitors to continue to get those extreme network effects. Mm -hmm. I think Bitcoin, as kind of a base layer of money uh, and store value, has the potential to to, to continue. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see uh, a little bit more emphasis on scalability and fungibility uh, beyond just Lightning, but but um, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But I do think we've got at least a few more years of network effects in both, probably longer for Ethereum. And I also think that um, the Fed has no choice but to keep increasing the money supply at a rate that you know is faster than 2% per year. And at that point, that money has to go somewhere. And I think it's going to go to equities. I think it's going to go to uh, crypto. Um, and I think it's going to go to some degree to real estate. And mm. I, that's it. And I think crypto will continue to get an outsized share as its place in mainstream uh, finance grows faster than the existing you know, systems and assets. 
Sure. And, and is it kind of, I, I know you mentioned there, Bitcoin, uh, there still needs to be, it still needs to be some better scaling solutions, but is it almost that Bitcoin is on its own path in a way where it's competing with gold and maybe once it takes more of gold's market share, there then there could be some sort of deviation and maybe yeah, the markets follow it, right. all coins follow it or not, I don't know. So, so I think I could foresee a model where in 50 years or even 25 years, we kind of reverse this idea that um, if Bitcoin becomes the base layer of sound money, but we still use dollars, it's okay, what is a dollar worth? How many Bitcoin is a dollar worth? That's the opposite of the way we think now. Mm. That makes sense to me at some point. That's when the network effects have gotten to the point where it's ubiquitous. Everyone has it. Everyone understands it. Everybody knows that when I say one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin, it's intuitively obvious to everyone what that means. Um, and it just doesn't mean that I think everybody's stupid. It means that, hey, we, we're not making more of it. Whereas with the dollar, $1 today is not $1 tomorrow, right? Uh, in 365 days right now, $1 is worth at least 10% less. Yeah. So, so I think there's going to be this shift in mindset towards Bitcoin or something like it as the base layer of the monetary system, even if we're transacting in dollars, euros, uh, RMB, maybe yen, which will probably be the big four on planet Earth and every, maybe pounds and Swiss francs, but, but, but they won't be like really that important. I think there'll be four or five important world currencies with something like Bitcoin and gold at the base layer. Mm. Uh, I'm excited at, at the idea of that, where central banks use Bitcoin as a reserve asset similar to gold. Uh, that would be amazing. Um, I want to talk about the Ethereum merge uh, upcoming next month. Want to get your thoughts? I know you had some price predictions. I, I think I believe for the next bull market of like around 40k. Yep. Tell me, tell tell me your thoughts about it. What do you expect from this merge? Will it be positive? Could we see a market yep. rally as a result? Yeah, if Ethereum works, I don't see how its price doesn't explode. It's not financial advice. I'm not telling people to go put all your money in Ethereum. Uh, but on the other hand, independent of, of the financial advice, uh, I would say it's becoming deflationary. Mm. The applications are exploding and increasing every day. Adoption is increasing every day. The um, scalability of the system will improve with the next generation of improvements post-migration to proof of stake. A lot of investment funds that can't hold Bitcoin because of these ESG environmental issues will have no problem investing in Ethereum. Um, now, I'm not I'm opining on what I personally believe in terms of like all this ESG stuff. Some of it's nonsense, which is true. My opinion doesn't matter. The reality is, is that Black Rocks of the world will not invest in something that has environmental concerns, right? A lot of these companies have are you know divesting of their oil and, and gas investments. Now, again, I'm, uh, it may not make sense, but that's the reality. Okay, yeah, yeah. so I think that we're 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 at a point now where you know Ethereum is really setting itself up for a massive run. Mm. Massive run. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a pullback and you know post merge, a little bit of sell the news, buy the rumor kind of stuff. But it, it just look at the basic math. It's, you know, the amount of the fact that no new Ethereum is going to be distributed because we won't be doing proof of work anymore. 
you know, some Ethereum, well, some will be given to uh, validators, but right, not right. In nearly in the quantities that it's given out to miners. ETH will be burned via the 1559 upgrade, which has already been happening. Mm -hmm. And this is going to continue unabated. And so the supply goes down, the usage goes up, the number of users is going up. Do the math. Yeah. <laughs> Something has to give. Well, it's it's demand has to give, right? So uh and and so uh if demand is is the function, the price is going to go up. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I, I'm certainly an ETH holder and uh excited to see and hope everything goes well with the merge and uh hopefully the market rallies behind it. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, uh I want to get your thoughts on well, actually, before I get there, because you mentioned BlackRock, and I'll jump to that question. We just saw BlackRock make a major move, partnering with Coinbase. They launched a Bitcoin spot trust. And to your point about ESG, they literally made some a press release the other day talking about this and how Energy Web and some other solutions that could help with the Bitcoin ESG concerns could be leveraged. It seems like they could make a push to start their own mining company or acquire a miner or ch help change the industry to move to more energy uh, conscious or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, what are your thoughts on on big players like this and how they could impact uh, Bitcoin mining? My thoughts on this are that everybody in the woke, uh, you know, ESG community back themselves into a corner. Hmm. They see what's happening in Germany now which is an absolute unmitigated disaster. Germany's been arbitrage on effectively cheap energy from Russia for decades. And that party's over. And all of a sudden, the predictions are that we could see 800% increases in, in fuel costs in Germany over the next year. That's, in, that's incredible. I mean, that's hyperinflation by every definition for a company, for the most stable economy maybe in the world. Mm. And, and so... We backed ourselves, we, they backed themselves into this kind of ESG woke stance, which never made any sense. It never did. It was never, there was never a direct correlation between their perspective on this and any kind of fixes to climate change or resource consumption or the cost of solar, uh, the cost of nuclear, the viability of nuclear. It, it just never was. And, and, and there never will be. And so now the question is, how are they going to get out of this mess uh, that they've created uh, for themselves uh, very quietly and with new terminology that makes them look like they helped or like the winners or, you know, something that, that, that allows them to save face, basically. And that's what's going to happen. Hmm. Um, with the likes of BlackRock entering the market um, and it's, you know, it's it's interesting that it's happening in the bear market. Uh, do you expect that we're going to see other big institutions also throw their hat in the ring maybe this year or next year? I think there's tremendous interest right now on crypto because of this pullback mm -hmm. in the institutional world. It, the gyrations are a little different in that world versus just retail, where it's you know retail is is very much a herd mentality, um, for better or worse. And, and there are instances where it's better and there are instances where it's worse. But institutional mentality is 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 more about risk reward and and you know at, at these price levels, you know, uh, do I see 70% downside to Ethereum or Bitcoin? Probably not. Uh, 
but it's possible. But I also I see you know very reasonable chance of you know twenty x upside on on Ethereum and and fifteen x on maybe ten x on Bitcoin over the next you know three years three to four years for both. And so that's a great bet hmm. with the right allocation. And institutions are looking at this timing and going, yeah, this is super interesting structurally. How do I do this? And these are the conversations that our asset management team has every day. Mm. Um, Bill, you have a lot of experience in government. You worked with the government. Uh, you were also part of the internet boom. You were at Netscape. You you, you founded companies and so forth in the, the internet boom. Um, and now we're in crypto, of course. How do you think the United States is doing when it comes to regulations? Because there seems to be a lot of ambiguity, a lot of confusion, SEC, CFTC, who's doing what, uh, and the Treasury is doing their own, their own thing with tornado cash and privacy. I want to get your take and perspective, given your history and accolades uh, on what's happening now. Sure. Well, first of all, it's not as bad as everyone thinks it is, or everyone might think it is. I think in the US, we actually have a lot of clarity in most things, hmm. meaning we know what a bank can do. We know what a, a money transmitter can do. We know what a, a qualified contract participant can do for commodities, futures, transactions. We know what a securities offering is. Now, where, where we probably need more clarity is what is a security in the crypto space? Because they've tripped over themselves at the SEC a few times on this themselves. Um, and the fact that they won't actually say these listed assets are securities, these listed aren't, I, I don't Resources maybe is the problem. I don't know. Um, but, I, you know, they, they named a couple of assets as potentially being securities in a, in a, in a personal suit against a, an employee of, a, of another company. And that's the closest they've ever come. That was a bizarre approach. Very weird, yeah. To, to doing that. So that's probably the one area where I think we need, in, in the U.S. in particular, I think in other countries, they don't have this problem. In the U.S. in particular, because we have such a, a narrow, you know, traditionally, I'm sorry, traditionally broad definition of what a security is and, and, and what a securities offering is, other countries don't necessarily apply those standards to crypto the way the U.S. is. And so... I think that's the one area where most of us in crypto would like a lot more clarity. I think there's still a hole in Americans' ability to be able to short cryptocurrencies, get access to leverage. Um, that's because um, Bitcoin, Ethereum are probably you know commodities the way you know the, 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 our government has defined it in the U.S. And as such. Um, you know, leverage and shorting now falls to the CFTC, and the CFTC isn't very good at retail. Mm -hmm. um, traditionally, they've they just not had there hasn't been a need because shorting and leverage for most retail falls in the you know has been a securities transaction, right? And and so that's probably we we know what the requirements are to do it. It's just not tenable for most companies to get into that market. That's why it's almost impossible for the average American to short Bitcoin right now. I would challenge the average American to go short Bitcoin right now. They couldn't do it. Yeah. Or uh, go long, right? Well, go, well, you can buy Bitcoin spot. Sure. There's, there's a hundred places to do that. But I'm saying if you really want to bet against Bitcoin legally in the United States right now, yeah, 95 plus percent of the public can't do it. Um, and there's something inherently wrong about that in a free market. And yeah. so- 
that's those are probably the two issues that I think we have in the U.S. that need to be worked out. What is the security, and what isn't a security, and not just give us broad definitions, but literally list them out. Someone, right, and then two, how in a commodity-based crypto market do you access this idea of leverage, shorting, um, you know, things that are very definable for retail and securities markets. So do you feel the SEC needs to provide an updated Howey test for crypto or have a crypto test, so to speak, given that there's there's never been anything like well, this, like okay, a globally? Yeah, you asked two different questions. Updated Howey test? No. Okay. That, that didn't come from the SEC. That came from the Supreme Court. So so updated crypto test? Maybe. But again, it didn't come from the, it didn't come from the SEC. It came from the Supreme Court. So I would... I would prefer that Congress address this because look, at the end of the day, the SEC doesn't make rule. They don't make laws, right? They interpret laws into rules. And for the lack of a law to interpret, they make it up. They're at liberty to do that until a court or Congress tells them they can't do it via the checks and balances we have. Unfortunately, we're in a mode right now where the checks and balances mostly ignore what they do. Yeah. The reality. Now, I'm not saying that's good or bad. It just is. Yeah. But it, but it is mostly unfortunate because I do think that they've, in many cases, usurped that power. And it's not just, I'm not picking on the SEC. I mean, I think the CFTC should have rules for retail, uh, for basically shorting and, and, and margin trading and leverage. I think the CFT, uh, the, I'm sorry, this, um, uh, the FinCEN, which is Treasury, way overstepped their bounds with Tornado Cash. So, and again, those aren't laws that they're enforcing. Those are rules that they're making up by interpreting law. Mm. And the only checks and balances on those processes are Congress and the courts. And that's very expensive for all of us to leverage, right? Mm. And, and so we need, if anything, we need better checks and balances. Um, but in the short term, I'm more concerned about the issues I, I mentioned, um, probably more even CFTC related than SEC related. Interesting. I, I recently interviewed Congressman Tom Emmer. Uh, it was actually last oh, week. Great. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, his his thing was Republicans win the midterms that he will have the gavel in his hand to to then take action against the SEC. It's getting a bit political, but uh, it's interesting that that might be coming uh, soon. Uh, we'll it, it, I don't really look at it as political. It's what I said before, right? I mean, the SEC does not make laws, mm. right? Emmer and Congress, they make the laws as representatives of the people. The SEC is not there to be a representative of the people. They're there to implement the laws as they relate to securities, Right. And the exchange of securities and the issuance of securities in the United States. Now, when the law is not clear as to what their writ is, within a certain degree of freedom, they're at liberty to make it up, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And they often do. Right. For example, in Treasury, um, FinCEN arbitrarily decided that, um, you know, Bitcoin was e-money and virtual currency by the definition of their e-money uh, rules that they made up years ago. They just made it up. You know, I would have preferred to have seen laws, uh, you know, passed that they were implementing or done nothing because they had no writ. 
to do anything in that space. None. Mm-hmm. They just made it up. Interesting. Uh, and that's where I'm hoping, you know, President Biden's crypto executive order helps bring all these branches of government regulators on the same page. Because to your point, FinCEN is calling, let's say, example, XRP, a virtual currency back in the day. The SEC now sues Ripple saying it's a security. It's just all over the place. And it's the folks at the CFTC are saying, no, it's not, it's not a security. It's just all over the pay, place. Right? I don't think the executive order can do that. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's amendments to maybe something like Dodd-Frank and, you know, uh, or a, a crypto, you know, financial engineering version of Dodd-Frank. I don't know uh, the right terminology, but um, I don't think one person should be able to arbitrarily say, here's an executive order on what crypto is, what a security is. That's, I think they can address some of the mining issues and they can basically, you know, create task force, uh, create a task force for this, a task force for that. But they can't just basically come in and change laws. And that's a good thing. So, yeah. but like I said, I think I think there's a lot of clarity. Like we know by and large what licenses we have, what registrations we need, uh, what type of compliance oversight we need. It's just those few nuances that I mentioned about you know what which assets are securities, right? How do I basic for those that are commodities? If I want to deal with retail, how do I enable a consumer to short Bitcoin? How do I enable them to get a little bit of of leverage to you know uh, to be able to short or whatever? And so things that they can already do in equities, right? But other than that, I think we have reasonable clarity. Yeah, I think certainly. We made a lot of progress, and, and to your point, it's a lot of issues around the SEC. All right, Bill, not financial or investment advice. Next bull cycle, 2024, whatever it is, right? <laughs> Do you have a price prediction for Bitcoin and Ethereum? Um, well, unless the the kind of channel that I look at for network effects and adoption changes, uh, we should clearly be at, you know, within five years at somewhere to 150 to 250,000 Bitcoin. Um, and at that point, we should probably be at something like 40 to 50,000 Ethereum. Mm. And, um, you know, I suspect there'll be more of these pullbacks and, you know, we'll get there and pull back and, and, and maybe, you know, just like we have multiple cycles, but, but I'm basing that on what I said earlier around, you know, the, the, changes to the money supply, the network effects, the use cases, particularly for Ethereum, um, more institutional money coming in, having another big retail boom, which maybe gets us to half a billion uh, users as opposed to 100 million. Uh, All of that should, in my opinion, get us there. Uh, Final question here for you. If you could create your own metaverse, what would the theme be about? Peace and love. That's it. Anything goes. <laughs> so would it be like, uh, I don't know, Woodstock or something? <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> but you can define your own Woodstock. For sure. <laughs> uh, Bill, a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.